Praise the Lord for cardinals and bishops and deacons. <laughs> I don't know how this name is stuck to me, but it's the weirdest thing. Now let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Thank you for your word. Everyone here is here for a reason, God. I thank you even now for softening hearts, Holy Spirit. Our dependence is on you, God. We just wait for you to do this work. We thank you. We thank you, God, for every soul here, precious in your sight. Again, open eyes to see, open hearts, God, to understand your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I want to piggyback a little bit off of what Jeff taught last week regarding faith. Um, but I want to start in Matthew chapter 7 today. Matthew chapter 7. <clears throat> Before I do, I don't know if uh, <clears throat> everybody knows this, but I work for this place called the American... Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons. Um, I've been working there for about 17 years. I was born again there uh, through a job interview. Uh, God just blasted me as, at my weakest point to this prophet that works there even now. Um, but it's interesting that the academy is, is for orthopedic surgeons, and there's a certain type of a membership that requires certification. Uh, they have to get the certification from the American Board of Orthopedic Society to be able to apply to become a certain member in our in our society. So these guys, every three years or several years, they get they have to go through these rigorous tests to be able to just get past and then finally just become certified and and then move on and apply to this position. And I get calls all the time from people saying, "Hey, you know, can you check to see if this doctor is certified?" I need some hip surgery. I need some elbow surgery. I need to make sure this guy is certified before I trust him, before I go to him and, and just put my body on the line before he just does surgery on me. So I go, man, I understand that. So I check him and see, man, this guy's ABR certified. He's been certified for 10 years. So that you feel like on the phone call, like the, the relief that they have on the phone, like, oh, man, that's good, you know. And, and the, almost the trepidation that they have when they've been referred to a guy who is not certified. And it's interesting, I was praying about tonight, and the Lord was saying, you know, it's interesting how if we in the natural put people through tests in this life for certain certifications, how much more will I test the faith of my people? Uh, Someone once said that the faith that is not tested cannot be trusted. And in Proverbs 17, 3, the Bible says that God tests the hearts of the righteous. So it's interesting because I was praying also and the Lord just kept bringing Matthew 7.21 to me, 7.21. So we're going to start there tonight and I want to just, in the background, I want you to understand, we're going to talk a little bit about tests tonight and patience. It says in 21, it says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? 
And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It's 2012, we're going into 2013. And I don't know about you, but in my life, and just in my experience with the Lord, it just seems like now more than ever that people want to see signs and wonders. The prophetic, all these manifestations of the Spirit, which are good, but it's interesting that Jesus right here makes a distinction between the things the Spirit brings and your character. And that what he's looking for is your character. What he's looking at is your character. See, workers of iniquity, it's pretty wild, have the ability to do these things through faith. You're going to actually be walking in sin, consistently practicing lawlessness, and actually have the ability to prophesy, cast out demons, and do signs and wonders. And this is a great challenge for us as Christians, because the devil is always going to want us to get into the signs and wonders and make you feel like, man, this, this is the work. This is the issue. Man, I want to see these miraculous things happen in my life and other people's lives. And again, there's nothing wrong with that, but the attempt of Satan is to get you to emphasize on the wonders and not on your character. There's a difference between temptation and test. The devil tempts you, he solicits you to sin, but God tests you so that you could stand. Tests you because he's interested in the genuineness of your faith, of your faith, excuse me, First Peter chapter 1, verse 7. There's a genuineness of faith that God through patience, through time, is working out in you. Because how many times have we said ourselves, I mean, I love Jesus. How many of us in this room say, I love Jesus, <laughs> and later to find out that through the test that we really don't love him the way we say we do? We say, man, I love him, and it's an emotional, man, we're just all fired up with tears, and like, come on, and we're fired. And then there's a simple test, simple test, and we fail it. And it's interesting because many of us hate to feel like a failure, and many times we tend to walk away and even not even embrace the testing of the Lord. It's actually a great thing for your life. The point here in Matthew 7.21 is that he would know you. I never knew you. This is, this is perspective here. We read in John 17 where Jesus is talking about, man, eternal life is for us to know God. But there's another side of that coin that Jesus could say, I knew you. That he could declare and profess that I knew you. So we want to look at a couple of things. In regards to tests, um, we're going to look a little bit at Abraham's life in the Bible. Faith, many times you're not going to experience the immediate results of your faith. Oftentimes, many times, you're going to have to wait for the results. And in that waiting, as you're serving the Lord and have this expectancy, God's going to begin to really test you. Start working things out of you. Here in Genesis 12, God speaks his wonderful promise to Abraham. He's 75 years old. And Abraham, I'm sure, is pretty excited. He's so excited that he obeys God. He leaves his country. He's on his way. But 
who remembers the story? What does Abraham do after he hears the promise? He leaves. Does anyone remember? He goes to Egypt. Now, before he goes to Egypt, he actually builds an altar in Bethel. So he's on the right track. He builds a place where he can worship God, but then there's a famine in the land, and he responds to his environment by going to Egypt. So what are the things we're going to deal with in this walk, in this journey, is the fact that how do we learn to deal with our mistakes in the midst of having a promise from God? Because many times we hear God speak to us, and because we make a mistake, we start to wonder if the, if the promise is still valid. We start wondering, like, man, is that promise still valid after I made this mistake? Start questioning, like, man, is God going to renege? Because I probably would renege. <laughs> so Abraham goes down to Egypt, and what does he do in Egypt? What does he do? Come on, don't tell me you haven't read this part. Sells out his wife. He tells them he's fearful that they're going to kill him because Sarah's beautiful. And he says, listen. He tells his wife, listen, you're going to tell them on your brother, okay? <laughs> Don't play. <laughs> on your brother. So she cooperates with him. And then through a series of events, the Lord gives this guy a dream and he's upset. And Abraham leaves. But when he leaves, the Bible says he returns back to Bethel to the altar that he built. So in part of our dealing with our mistakes is remembering our mistakes are really an opportunity to go back to the presence of God. He builds an altar in Bethel. He makes his mistake, big blunder, but then he says, you know what, I'm going back to that place. I need to go back to that place. Many times negative events out of our control dictate how we view God. A situation that's out of your control, negative as it may be, should never get us to a point where we make a conclusion about God's character. But this happens all the time. It happens all the time. The famine, you know, he hears this promise and the famine comes and he's like, I'm out. I'm going down to Egypt. He, he leaves the altar, I'm out. His situation is determining who he's trusting in. There's another part in the Bible that talks about a certain man named Elimelech, who in, I believe, first, no, this is Ruth. No, this is, this is first, no, this is Ruth. Elimelech faces the same testing. There's a famine in the land, and he decides to take his whole family to Moab, and he dies, and his sons die there. The Bible says that they were there for 10 years. So out of his own mistake, he begins to become very comfortable with his environment. He never returns to Jerusalem. And this is the trap that happens when we make our mistakes. Sometimes we just stay in that place when we have an opportunity to return. And Abraham does that. He says, I'm going to go back. The number two two thing we see is, is learning to deal with your possessions. What happens after he builds the altar? There's a dispute between him and Lot regarding the possessions of the land that they're dealing with. And Abraham, I mean, he's Lot's uncle, and Abraham has all the right to say, hey, bro, I'm going to call. Who gets first dibs? He like, I'm the uncle, bro. You're coming with me. This is the vision God gave me. He never says that. He says, Lot, choose the way you want to go. 
Wherever you want. You choose. We shouldn't be fighting amongst ourselves. And Abraham and, and Lot chooses what he wants, and Abraham goes his own way. You see that learning to deal with our possessions is a critical test in our faith. Many people have so many possessions consuming them that they don't have any room for Jesus. They say they love Jesus because of the possessions. In Malachi chapter 2, we read that God comes and speaks to the people. He says, if you are not here, I will curse you and your blessings. He will even, bless, he will even curse our blessings because they weren't responding to him. He wasn't number one anymore. It was the possessions that they were, was number one. <clears throat> one of the things that also happens in Genesis Remember, Abraham got the promise of 75, right? And we read later on in chapter 16 that Sarah can't give him any children. She's done. She's like, man, I can't give him any children. So take my handmaiden, this servant, and Abraham takes her and he sleeps with her. And he's 86 at this point. He's 13 years after and he's heard the promise. He sleeps with this woman. She conceives. So Abraham still has life in him. I want you to remember this. Abraham still has the ability to create life. And he has Ishmael. And it's interesting because 13 years later, Ishmael is 13 and God is speaking to Abraham again about the promise. And Abraham says, Lord, why can't Ishmael live before you? He said, I want Ishmael to live. He's, he's so concerned about his plan, about his way. He says, after 13 years, Abraham is still holding on to his way. So the testing of our faith many times is going to reveal our ways and what God is wanting us to let go. He says, here's my alternative. This is what I'm offering to you. I'm going to go through Ishmael. Let Ishmael live before you, Lord. And God says, no. The promise is with Isaac. And sometimes we forget about these time frames because it's been 13 years. That this man in his heart thinking, man, this, this is, maybe God will accept this. Sometimes we think that because time has passed that God is going to change his mind. <laughs> happens all the time. People are in sin. They don't repent. They wait a year, two years, and because they're comfortable in their sin, they, get, they think God's changed their mind. He hasn't changed his mind. As a matter of fact, through this whole, his whole life, God consistently reminds Abraham of the promise. Hey, bro, just in case you forgot, you're a father of many nations. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless you. And Abraham has this promise over him. <laughs> this is, listen, this is, not, this is not easy, man. Waiting... Being patient. The Bible says that Abraham inherited the, the promises through faith and patience. It wasn't just faith. It was a patience that he develops through the testing. James chapter 1. Call it all a joy when you fall into various trials. Because out of those trials, it's going to work patience. Patience is produced. But then it says, but let patience have its perfect work. There's an ongoing work that patience must have. And I really believe it refers back to Matthew 7, 21. 
of him knowing you. This walk is not about you just having some promises. This is about you coming to a place where God knows you so intimately. It's interesting because Abraham was tested twice in the area of giving up his wife, and he fails twice. He says, you're my sister. And then he later on justifies it to Abimelech. He says, listen, I was telling you the truth. She is my (laughs) half-sister. Isn't that funny how sometimes we use half-truths to justify our position? We'll say, hey, well, this is half-truth. Isn't this good enough? (laughs) God's like, no, I don't think so. Half-truths are not going to cut it. This is critical because when we look at the ultimate test, you've got to understand, God custom makes tests for you. It's not like some random test that he just throws out there. The devil has general just temptations. The Bible says they're common unto all men. They're just common things that he throws out at you because he's hoping that that sheep, that dumb sheep, is going to bite that hook. But the God custom makes, specifically designs a test just for you. Now look at this specific test in Genesis 22. Now listen, Abraham's being tested the whole time, but this is the first time specifically it says God is testing Abraham. Now think of, now let's put it in perspective. You haven't had kids forever. You love your wife. You're 75 years old, and God says. Here, you're going to, have, you're going to be a, a father of many nations. I'm going to make your name great. I mean, this incredible promise. I can imagine Abraham going back to his house and looking at Sarah, like, let's get it on, girl. Let's do this tonight. And then he's, you know, he stays with her, and nothing happens. And he stays with her, nothing happens. Thirteen years go by. Sarah's like, Hey, man, it's a dust bowl in here, man. I'm sorry. I don't know what to tell you. Take my lady. Take, take my servant. He's like, okay. So he's still, there's still life in him. He, he, Israel comes. But at 99 years old, Abraham says out of his mouth, he laughs. He's like, ah, this is hilarious. Me, a man of 99 years old, is going to have a kid, and Sarah, who's 90? The purpose of the test is to bring you to the end of yourself. Abraham understands at that moment that there's no way this promise is on me. The promise comes from God, and he says, even in Genesis 12, you want to read it yourself, he says, I will, I will, I will, I will. He said, I'm going to do these things. Not you, Abraham. But along the way, as you're waiting 24 years, I need you to come to a realization. You can't do it. You tried at 86. But I got to let 13 years roll by until you understand I can't do it. Romans chapter 4. Let's read that real quick. 
This is why the test is so good. This is why James says, count it all the joy. Because without the test, if God doesn't test your heart, I believe many people go to hell because God doesn't test people's hearts. You know how many, a boatload of people will go to hell who in Matthew 7 are prophesying in his name, casting out devils in his name, doing wonders in his name? There's a whole lot of people doing that who are not going to be in the, in the kingdom. Who are not going to be in the kingdom. Matthew, uh, Romans chapter 4. Let's break in, in, in verse 19. It said, And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body. Already dead. Since he was about a hundred years old and the deadness of Sarah's womb. And he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he had promised he was able to perform, and therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. Let's stop right there for a second. Verse 21, he was fully convinced. The trials and the testings of, of your faith is to bring you to a place where you're fully convinced of his character. Listen, he's, listen, you didn't make up, you can't make this up. You can't make up some dream like that. Think about Joseph. You think Joseph made that dream up? He said, you know what, one day I'm going to be in charge of, I'm going to be ruling over you guys. And all of them already didn't like him. Because he was, you know, Jacob's favorite. So he's just going to wake up one morning and say, hey, bro, just so you know, I got a dream and I'm going to be ruling over you guys. I'm sorry. He's like begging them to beat him up. No, he's only saying that because something was planted in him. Something was planted in him that in the prison, remember, he's in prison now. He's in prison waiting years. God is setting up his promotion. The promise was, is always on the one who promised. It's on God. But along the way, along the way, he's doing something to you. You're starting to look more like Jesus. Something's happening to you. See, in Genesis 22, listen, Abraham is a completely different dude. Listen, this man is walking in so much faith. He says when he takes up his son to the mountain, he's on his way. He tells his servants, listen, we're going to be back. We're coming back. They're like, I mean, he just, God just told him. Take up your son to the mountain and sacrifice him. Imagine how radical that is. This is the first time that God is asking someone to commit human sacrifice. And it's kind of ironic that even in that verse, it's the first time you see the word love in the Bible. Genesis 22. The son whom you love, take him up to the mountain and kill him. Sometimes the test that God brings to your life is going to surprise you. Because it's antithetical to his promise. It's contrary to his promise. Think about it. You promised me I'm going to have descendants, a multitude, and then he says, the very same kid that you're going to have the multitude, the promise is for, you want me to kill him. That doesn't make any sense. You want me to get rid of the guy that you promised I'm going to have descendants by. And many times this is how the testing comes. See, the, all, this, this is the thing about the test. God's not testing you in areas to give up stuff that's bad. 
He's testing you to give up stuff that's good. That's the test. It's the good stuff. I mean, he's saying, give up the promise. Give it up. It's a good, it comes from God. But he said, give it up. Because many times, you know, when we think that God's testing us when he asks us, you know, drop that cigarette. Drop that donut. And, and we're like, man, this is, this is a test. <laughs> People start manifesting. And they're like, later on, because like, that was a real tough test, Lord. Whew, I just make it through that day. But man, what about the son that you love? That you've been waiting for for 24 years. Every time Abraham uh, truly, he, out of the confession of his mouth, he says, Listen, in the second time he gives up his wife, he says something interesting. He says, I feared this place because the fear of the Lord wasn't here. I feared this environment so much that I, was, I, I just basically cheated and said, This is my wife, this is, this is my sister. So there was a fear of man issue in his heart. He does it twice, so it's a pattern. He has an issue with it. But then later on, when he passes the test in Mount Moriah, the angel of the Lord says, now I know that you fear me. His breakthrough, (laughs) he has a fear of man issue, and through the testings of his life, he comes to a place where he fears God only now. And God says, now I know that you fear me. Now I know. It's almost kind of a wild verse. As if like God is realizing something. Like he's coming to a realization with him. For us, we have to understand, even embrace, even ask the Lord to give us a joy in our trials. You becoming like Christ is the goal. So these testings, again, they're custom made to bring you to the end of yourself so that you could look like him. This is it. The promises are secondary because you want the one who promised it. God in Genesis 15 says, Abraham, Abraham, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. Say, Abraham, pay, look, look what you have. <laughs> and Abraham says, man, I don't have a kid, man. <laughs> he still doesn't have it. He keeps looking at, man, I, don't, I'm, I go childless. And God had just told him, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. And so we don't want to get caught up in promises, and we don't want to get caught up in signs and wonders. Those things are good. Don't get me wrong. And the Bible says in Galatians, the promises of Abraham are for the believer. If you are in Christ, the promises over Abraham's life are yours. You are an heir of those promises. But if you're an heir of those same promises, that must, be, that must mean you must be tested in the same way. If those promises belong to you and they belong to every Christian in this room, that means that God is going to do some testing, some serious testing in your life. And this, and let patience have its perfect work. We want, man, we want all the patience. And the Bible says in Romans 15 that he's the God of patience. 
We can't let our mistakes say, hey, you know what? Maybe God's changing his mind. Look, this is why the story is in here. Abraham made a lot of mistakes, but the promise was still for him to have. It was still real. He just kept building altars. I'm going to return to the Lord. I'm going to just keep seeking his face. I'm going to just keep letting him just even put me on blast. Expose my, this false faith that I have. Show me. I, I want to know. God wants you to know. He even says, I want to say, I want to be able to say, I knew you. Because he says, depart from me, I never knew you. We live in a culture that is so demanding. There's no patience in this culture. Even when we deal with people in the community, sometimes we just run out of patience with people quickly. Like, Man, I'm done with this person. He just won't repent. And many times we forget the patience of God in your life before you were born again. The patience of God in your life. The long-suffering of God. The Bible says patience is long-suffering. He's suffering long. Waiting for you to repent. Waiting for you to just turn to him in faith. Reject that sin and turn. And and this sometimes we just forget. Man, God is so patient with us. I think about my own life, 21 years of just living for myself, living in the world. And God has to, look how stubborn I was. Listen, my testimony is wild, but it was only a real indication of my stubbornness. Where my heart was. He has to get me in a basement in a job interview. I mean, that's that's the patience of God. He's orchestrating events to bring me to my knees. Now, over his promises, it's the same thing. Wherever the Lord is sending us, we're going to have to be patient in our situations. We're going to have to learn to wait on him. See, waiting is serving him, but it also is this expectancy that he's going to fulfill what he's promised. And we go back to his character. We look back at his character. Man, he cannot lie. The Bible says it is impossible for him to lie. If he's spoken to me, remember, Abraham is doing this because he's informed. He's hearing God's voice. He hears God speak to him. He's informed, and then he obeys immediately. He goes the next morning to take his son up to the, to the Moriah. So the issue for us is, man, we, when we hear God's voice, if we're privileged enough to hear his voice about a situation, my God, let's respond with obedience. Let's respond with immediate action. It's not way around because maybe what he's talking about has nothing to do with what you want to hear. Happens all the time. I want to know my calling. I want to know, I want to know the future. But you're, you're failing the test of now. Right now you're failing the test. And you're asking him to just show me these things. Why should he? Why should he reveal these things? Remember, the, the gospel is about souls. And these tests make you more like him so that he can entrust you with souls. And if you're failing the test, why should he entrust you with things he died for? Why? This is why the test is so important. 
He tests the hearts of the righteous. He tested Abraham. You think, was Jesus tested? It's interesting. Jesus is called the Lamb of God. And the last, basically, week of his life, he goes through more testing in that last week. To the Pharisees and all these people trying to point out, trying to find fault in the Son of Man. These people are just trying to find some sort of way to catch him in some sort of sin. They can't find nothing in him. You don't think the enemy is going to use people to throw up your garbage in your face? Sometimes the, the test really comes down to is are you willing to humble yourself and admit that you're actually someone put you on blast? And it's true. Even, though, even if they're an unbeliever. Many times that happens. <laughs> An unbeliever will be used by God to expose your sin. And you're like, man, I'm not having that. You're not even born again. You're not even a child of God. What are you talking about? You're going to back off of me. I'm not hearing that. My God, selective hearing. Epic fail. Hash marks, comma, hashtags, or whatever you guys call them. I don't even know what that stuff is. But the the point is this. The point is this. You never graduate from this school. He's going to continue to test you. Remember, Abraham's 100 when he's tested. You think God's going to just stop one day and say, hey, man, you're good. You're good, bro. He's going to test you until the day you step off this planet. Because, again, the goal is for you to look like Christ. And guess what? <laughs> that test is coming. Just like those, those uh, orthopedic surgeons. They get a notice. You've got three years to get ready before this test. They get recertified. Here it is. God will test you to maintain what he's, what the revelation, the heart that you have. Maintenance is critical in this. You reach a certain place in God, and many times that next, we think that we've arrived. But God says, here's another test. Why? Because he wants to maintain and build upon that, take it to another place in him. We have to be careful, man, to, to, and even with timetables, my God. Listen, I know everyone in here hears God's voice, most of you guys. There is this false this prideful thing that we can say, God, I'm going to give you four years, seven years. I'm going to get radical say ten years. And we start putting these timetables on when God should respond and answer the promise. All of a sudden, we are the ones that are dictating the test. We're, we're administering the test. And many times, look, with Genesis 22, God told him specifically what to do. Many times we feel, because we failed the test, we'll make up our own test. God, I'm going to give this up to you. I'm going to give this to you because I love you. And God never asked you to give that up. And we're just making up stuff to kind of make up for our, our mistakes. Listen, man, I... I Tests are already hard enough. I don't need to make more tests upon my life. I don't need to make up tests because I'm trying to prove something to him. Listen, you prove to him your obedience is the proof. 
when he tests you. It's not our ways. Listen, Abraham kept saying, Ishmael, Ishmael, Ishmael. Many times this is what we do. My way, my way, my way. God's not having that. These tests that we face, man, we got to thank God. Listen, there's a joy in knowing that you're in God's plan. No matter what nation you're going to be in or where you're going, listen, the Lord has a specific test, things he's preparing, things that he wants to use these tests to reveal Christ in you, reveal things that you need to repent of. I mean, listen, without the test, you won't see who you really are. There's a genuineness. There's this faith that needs to be expressed in this generation. It's not going to be about lip service. These people are moving in signs and wonders in Matthew 7.21. But it's not the issue to Jesus. They are workers of iniquity. They are doing their own thing. They are not repenting. And I'm sure many of you in this room have seen ministers. I've seen ministers, my God, way more anointed than me. Signs and wonders, amazing, amazing things happening. And then you go into their house, and you're like, man, bro, you're bogus. And it's very hard to digest that sometimes. The balance of like, God using this person amazingly, and then the characters are way off. I've seen people, as soon as they got on the basketball court, you would have never even dreamed they, were, they knew Jesus. He's been anointed, they'll preach the gospel, but as soon as the ball comes in their hands... All of a sudden, uh, they're talking trash, and they're, they're doing all kind of crazy stuff. You're like, man, bro, how? We got to embrace the tests in our lives. The Lord has a purpose for every test. We don't want to say the test is temptation. We, don't, we, we need to pray. Say, Lord, show me, are you testing me right now? It's okay to ask me. Are you testing me? Is this a test? I don't want to assume that it's a, it's a temptation. And I start binding the devil. You're a devil. You're a liar. And all this stuff. You take them out. No, that's very times we do. We spend all this energy on things that God's like, what are you doing? I'm testing you. It's not the devil. We have this weird Christian theology. The devil's in everything. He's always around. He's, ah! He's always. I mean, no. It's not like that. Many times it's the Lord that you're calling the devil. Many times it's him. It's funny. One of the last things I just want to say is, you would never ask a physician to speed up a surgery. You've, you're hurting. You go to the doctor and say, hey, this is going to be a seven-hour surgery. I've never heard anyone say, hey, man, can you speed that up? Can you make it two hours? <laughs> Why is that? Because you understand that's what's required. Time. 24 years of Abraham waiting. Joseph waiting in prison. Years. Jesus waited until 30 years old to start his ministry. Over and over and over again. God's doing something through time. You need to embrace it. 
this surgery of him transforming you into the image of his son, this is a lifetime surgery, man. And God's asking you to lay it down, lay down. If you love something tonight more than Christ, you've got to take it to Moriah. Just as Abraham took it to Moriah. The goal is to become like him. The goal isn't for us to say, man, I got the promises. It's to become like him. And this, the, the, the great physician is working. And you know, he's right on time. It's interesting how there's a ram caught in the thicket when Abraham is told to stop. The timing of God, providing a sacrifice. And, and Abraham says, the Lord is Jehovah Jireh. He's the one that provides. So God is actively working, setting up events for you and providing ways that you could even imagine. These tests are for God to be glorified in your life. He's not mad at you. He's not upset with you. He's not, he's, he's not thinking evil of you. The test is for you to answer your prayer that you pray. I want to be like you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I want to be like you, Jesus. You do. You really sincerely do. But here comes the test. Here it comes. But there's a joy in knowing that the one who's administering the test loves you. You don't have to question that. See, when we go back to his character, we don't question his character. He has a track record of testing people through time. And they've come out way better at the end. Way better. Without the test, you wouldn't look like him. So even tonight, I want to just pray over you guys. And I want to spend some time in prayer for each other um, in in the area of just patience and testing. That we would discern when the Holy Spirit is testing us. There's a joy that God wants us to walk in. A joy that exemplifies his people, that people see that this is the body of Christ. This person is going through hell, but there's a joy in them. They've gotten, they've gotten past all these superficial things. They understand that the Lord is the prize in this life. So, Father, I thank you so much for every test that we've been through and that is coming on the horizon. Jesus, I pray for discernment. I ask that, God, before we confess and conclude that a test is a temptation, that we would pray. That we would say, Lord, I want to know if you're testing me. And if you're testing me, I want to have that joy, that unspeakable joy of knowing that I'm in your hands. That the delays in this life are not because you don't love me. The delay is because, God, you are working something out of me that I can never do on my own. God, like Abraham, who came to the end of himself and considered not his own body. He did not consider his own body. I pray that we will not consider our own selves. That we will look to the one who's promised. The one who's promised. Because it is impossible for you to lie. You cannot lie. So we thank you, God, that every test is for your glory. 
every test is to bring us closer to your heart. Even when we mess up, that it's an opportunity for us to run back to you and experience the mercy and the grace that comes in being your presence. So we think we can't lose, God. We can't lose. As we surrender, as we let the great physician do this surgery that is required in every heart in this room. So we just want to surrender, Holy Spirit. I want you guys to rise to your feet. Rise to your feet. I want us to spend some time just surrendering. Just let